Well, good evening. How are we feeling? <clears throat> hey, forgive my voice this, uh, tonight. I'm uh, feeling a little under the weather, so hopefully I don't sound uh, like nails on a chalkboard. Um, so hopefully we'll get through this, and uh, this will be a great night. Uh, again, sorry for my voice, and uh, like I said, hopefully it doesn't annoy you. Does it annoy anybody? Okay, good. It's manly. Hey, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, well, hey, welcome to Genesis. Uh, we are glad you guys are here tonight. Uh, thank you for choosing to spend your Tuesday night with us. Uh, we don't take that lightly. So we're, we're excited that you're here. And uh, we know that God's got great things in store, as always, uh, for Genesis tonight. So uh, I kind of want to open up and uh, I wanted to say uh, I'm a big fan of baseball. All right. So I'm a big baseball fan. Uh, this past season was actually uh, one of the greatest baseball seasons ever. Uh, and if you watch any of it, you know that that uh, to be true, uh, especially the World Series. Uh, got a lot, of, uh, a lot of news coverage. A lot of things were going on. It was a great season. Well, I'm a big fan of baseball. And so tonight, I wanted to uh, begin with a uh, story about a certain baseball player. Uh, and you may have heard of him. His name was Babe Ruth. We're all familiar with Babe Ruth, right? Okay, so Babe Ruth uh, is one of the greatest hitters of all time. One of the greatest hitters of all time. He uh, is actually third all-time home runs uh, behind Barry Bonds and Hank Aaron. And uh, he's also known as the Great Bambino. Uh, that was his nickname uh, when he got traded from the Red Sox to the Yankees. It started something called the Curse of the Bambino. You also would know of him, know of him if you watched The Sandlot. Uh, he actually uh, went and talked to Benny the Jet Rodriguez in a... Uh, dream vision type thing. So we all know who Babe Ruth is, all right? So Babe Ruth is kind of a legend, right? So he's, uh, like I said, one of the best players of all time. Well, there was a uh, certain at bat that he had uh, back in the day, uh, and it was actually in the uh, 1932 World Series, and this at bat would live on forever. And so it just so happened that uh, he was playing for the Yankees at the time. This was the last World Series that he was ever going to play in, okay? So this is towards the end of his career. It's 1932, and uh, it's game three of the World Series. He's playing for the Yankees, and they're going up against the Cubs, okay? So Yankees-Cubs, and they're playing on the road in Chicago, all right? So they're at Wrigley Field, playing and the Cubs in Chicago. And uh, it just so happened at the time that uh, the Yankees and the Cubs, they, they, they apparently weren't getting along too well, okay? Things were getting kind of chippy. Think uh, Carolina Clemson, okay? So, uh, so there's things going on here between the two teams. They're rivals, and they're in a, a big game, right? So game three of the World Series, and uh, they're in Chicago, and here comes Babe Ruth, and he comes up to bat. And at this point, people start shouting and heckling and taunting Babe Ruth and yelling all kinds of things at him, uh, actually throwing things at him, like I said, very similar to Carolina Clemson. Uh, and so things are, you know, things are getting very hostile in this environment, right? So Babe Ruth steps up into the, uh, the batter's box, and, uh, and you know, he's getting ready to, to, to see the first pitch, and uh, the crowd continues to get even louder, right? They start yelling and, and heckling him and shouting, and, and, uh, and here comes the first pitch of the at-bat, right? So he's in the, the batter's box. Here come the first pitch, and it was a strike. All right, so strike one. Now, at this point, the crowd started getting even louder, and because of this, Babe Ruth was getting a little bothered, and so what did he do? He started yelling back at the crowd, and so it was getting even worse, all right? So here came the second pitch. So he steps back in. Here comes pitch two, strike two, okay? So 0-2 count. At this point, it was so loud, and there were so many fans that were just, you know, so ready to see Babe Ruth, the legend, strike out, right? And so Babe Ruth, at this point, had had enough. All right, so he steps into the batter's box on an 0-2 count, and he gets ready to hit. He, he gets in the batter's box, and you got to imagine, you know, the, the sound of the, the crowd roaring and shouting. He's on the road. It's the World Series. It's game three, and he's down 0-2, and what does he do in the batter's box? But he lifts up his arm, and he points out to the center field bleachers, 
and he calls his shot. The next pitch comes, and he hits a home run right to the exact spot that he pointed to. And that moment would live on in baseball history forever. So tonight, we're continuing a uh, a series called Adulting. And uh, we're going to talk about tonight owning our faith. And we're going to do so by reading a story from the Old Testament about a guy named Elijah who also called his shot. So if you would, please open with me to uh, 1 Kings 18. I know we're going to go Old Testament tonight. We're going to go old school. So uh, 1 Kings 18. uh, And while you're turning there, I will um, get you up to speed. So at this point, uh, the nation of Israel uh, is under the rule of a guy named King Ahab. Okay, so King Ahab is ruler of Israel at this time. And uh, he was an evil king. And he was actually married to a woman named Jezebel, who you may have heard of Jezebel before. Uh, She kind of has a bad reputation, right? So he's married to Jezebel, King Ahab. And uh, in that time, there was a false god that was being worshipped in, in the nation of Israel. And he actually, uh, his name was Baal Hadad, was his full, was his full name, Baal Hadad. And, uh, and if you read, if you read you know, this part of the Old Testament, you'll see this name come up a lot. And so actually the, the local manifestations of this god, <clears throat> sorry, uh, they actually just would uh, just call him uh, Baal or the Baals, okay? So B-A-A-L is how it's spelled. And so... Uh, King Ahab actually built altars for this guy, okay? So he actually built an altar for Baal. So he, he encouraged the worship of this false god, okay? And so that's the current atmosphere of the nation of Israel. They are completely uh, against the things of God, and they are all for this guy, this, this false god named Baal, all right? So, uh, and then we see the prophet Elijah kind of come onto the scene. So Elijah shows up, and uh, he actually, he goes up and tells Ahab, hey, God told me that there's a drought that's coming. Uh, there's a drought that started. So for a while, it's not going to rain. Uh, this is what the Lord has said. So uh, this drought has started, and we actually see Elijah continue on. He actually uh, performs uh, a certain miracle. He actually raises uh, somebody from the dead. Uh, and then in chapter 18, we see Elijah confront Ahab. And so the reason that he's confronting Ahab is God had just told Elijah, you need to go see King Ahab, and you need to tell him that that drought that you predicted uh, before is now going to come to an end. And so you need to go tell King Ahab, this is what's up. The, uh, the rain uh, is going to come. Okay. So we get to see this tension between Ahab and Elijah kind of come to a head a little bit, starting in verse 20. So let's see what happens. This is first Kings eighteen twenty through 24. And, uh, this is what it says. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people I said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So we see Elijah here, right? He, he's speaking out against the crowd of Israelites, uh, saying, how long are you going to limp between two opinions? If God is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then you need to follow him. Now, that kind of sounds a little familiar, right? So 
So does anybody know anybody that's like that, right? That maybe is riding the fence of their faith. Maybe, maybe that sounds like you in here tonight. That maybe you find yourself limping between two different opinions. You're trying to decide if you're going to follow Jesus or you're not going to follow Jesus. I would encourage you, maybe it's time to stop riding the fence. Elijah, uh, he actually then continues to say, he says what? He says, listen, I'm the only prophet of the Lord left. I'm the only one. I'm by myself. I'm alone. And there's 450 of you guys, the prophets of Baal. And so why don't we find out who the true God is? And so standing alone by himself compared to these 450 men, what does he do? He tells them, prepare two sacrifices. He said, one for the Lord, one for Baal. One for God, one for Baal. And he tells them, you call upon the name of your God, and I'll then call upon the name of my God. And whoever answers by fire is the real God. And what I love about this, an interesting detail about Baal is that he was actually believed to be the God of fire and lightning. And so not only was he calling out Baal, he was calling out Baal for what he was known for. Okay? So he's, and so everyone, they, you know, they reply and they agree. And at this point, the crowd was roaring Heckling, the pressure was on. He was away from home. It was an 0-2 count, and Elijah just called his shot. Game on. Let's keep reading. This is verse 25, 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they traveled on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So uh, Elijah lets them go first. So Elijah lets them prepare their sacrifice, and then they start shouting to, shouting to Baal, right? Baal, do your thing. You're the God of fire. Prove yourself. And they start doing their, their ritual dances around the altar, and nothing is happening. And, and I love this because then Elijah, what does he do? He starts taunting them. He's like, hey, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's on vacation. He starts taunting them. And they, so they, what do they do? They start, they start continuing to pull out all their stops. They actually, they start cutting themselves in, in self-mutilation, hoping to catch the attention of their God. But all they got was silence. No answer. Let's keep reading and see what happens next. This is verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the members of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the, Lord, the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as it would contain two seahs of seed. Uh, two seahs is actually about seven quarts, um, or actually uh, 14 quarts, if you're interested. Um, and he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. 
So Elijah, he prepares the altar and the sacrifice, and, and then he takes it a step further. He says, actually, why don't you do me a favor, and why don't you go ahead and go get me some water, and we're going to pour it all over the altar. And then so they go, and they get some water, and they go pour it all over the altar. And then he says, hey, why don't you do it again? So they go, and they do it again, and they pour it all over the altar. And he's like, you know what? Why don't we just uh, do it a third time? And so they go over there, and they pour it all over it again. To that point, it's, it's drenched, and it's completely saturated, and it's you know, scientifically all chance of catching fire is gone. The water is actually overflowing out of the uh, altar onto the trench. And, uh, and at this point, let's, let's read and see how the story ends. This is verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. So Elijah, he calls to heaven, and what does God do? What do you expect him to do? He answers immediately. He sends down fire, and, he, and it completely consumes the altar to the point where the, the bull is gone, the altar is gone, the wood's gone, and even the stones are burnt up. And so Elijah just sent the O2 pitch to the center field bleachers. He just called a shot, and he came through. And when the prophets of Baal, when they see this, they're terrified, and they fall on their face in worship. They start confessing that God is the true God. And what does Elijah do? He kills them all. That's Old Testament right there. He kills them all to end the worship of Baal and the nation for that time. And I love when I was going through this story, uh, I, I, was, uh, I love this tiny detail because let's not forget, why was Elijah there in the first place? He was sent there, remember, to tell Ahab, hey, the drought's going to end, right? All right, well, that's what Elijah was there to, to, uh, to begin with. And so what's the very next verse? The very next verse says this. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. By the way, King Ahab, rain's coming. Mic drop. That's a pretty legit story, right? All right, so Elijah is incredible. So now after reading this story, it's, it's apparent that what did Elijah do? He owned his faith in God. Standing alone, outnumbered, he stood his ground, and he owned his faith in God. When he was outnumbered, when he had, when he had been told to go see King Ahab, who, who didn't, uh, didn't worship God, didn't worship the God that Elijah did, at that point he could have said, yeah, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm good. I changed my mind. I don't think I can do this. No, he owned it. And not only did he own it, he did what he was called there to do, but he also stopped the worship of Baal and the nation at that time. He didn't limp between two different opinions. He didn't ride the fence. He was sold out and he committed and he was committed in his faith in God. And so tonight as we are in our adulting series, we felt it was very important to talk about owning your faith. Not your parents' faith, not your pastor's faith, but your faith. And when you start to become a, a more independent person, when you start to grow up, a lot of times your faith seems to take a back seat. 
seems to take a back seat. And, and it's because we've been piggybacking off those who raised us. And we get to the point where we don't have a true faith of our own. And, and honestly, you know, there's going to be, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to choose between the bales of the world and God. There's going to come a time where you're going to have to choose. And if we're not rooted in a personal faith that we own, a personal relationship with God, we're going to choose everything this world offers every single time. And a lot of times it's going to feel like we're standing alone, just like Elijah did. And so let me ask you this tonight. When you're on the road and you're on your, on your last strike and the crowd is shouting at you, do you have enough faith to call your shot? Do you have enough faith in God to be able to stand your ground? That when you're outnumbered, when you're doubted, will you hold to your faith or will you not? And, you know, and this is applicable to every stage of life because in every stage of life, we're going to be left to prioritize our relationship with God. Whether you're out of college and single, we have to be able to keep God above our job and, 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 uh, and money and, our, and relationships. And when you're in college and single, you have to be able to keep God above everything else and relationships and, and, and school. And when you're, at, when you're out of college and you're married and you're working, you got to keep him above relationships still. And you got to keep him above everything else in your life, money, success. It's, it's applicable everywhere. That every stage of life, wherever, wherever you find yourself tonight, there's a time that's coming and it's probably right now where you need to start owning your faith. It's probably a time that's coming, and it's probably right now. And just as we uh, talked about time management uh, in week one, and we talked about the, the topics that the panel discussed uh, in week two, this is a truth that is relevant right now, and it's going to be relevant to you 20 years from now when your life looks completely different than it does right now. You have to start owning your faith today. Because if you choose to let your faith be a sweet story from summer camp or, or something you left to your parents' house or something you left at high school, if that's all you let your faith be, you have missed it. You've missed it completely. It's time to own your faith. And I'm sure the, the obvious question is how do we do it? How do we exactly own our faith? And what I want to do, I want to give you some practical advice, and I'll keep this part somewhat short. Um, which is probably good for you guys because I'm really passionate about this, okay? So I'll keep this part somewhat short. But if we were to sit down and you approached me or, or you approached Kevin, and I talked to Kevin about this yesterday so I can feel like I can speak on his behalf on this. If you were to sit, us, sit one of us down one-on-one and said, what is the most important thing I can do to become more of an adult? I guarantee you the first thing we tell you is to learn to be responsible for your own personal relationship with God. That is the number one thing. How do you become better at being an adult? You learn to be responsible for your own growth in your relationship with God. You know, if you want to think about when you were a baby, well, how did you get fed when you were a baby? You're fed from a bottle, right? You're fed from a bottle. And then you grow a little bit older and you start to get teeth and you start to be able to feed yourself and you start eating solid food. A lot of us in here tonight spiritually are still getting fed from the bottle. You're still getting fed from the bottle. You're expecting your pastor to hold your hand, your parents to hold your hand. I'm telling you, that's not going to hold up in the real world. It's not. You've got to learn how to feed yourself. There's a verse, uh, I don't have it on the screen, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I became a woman, I put away childish things. It might be time to start putting those things away. It might be time to, uh, uh, the time that uh, speaking and acting and reasoning like a child, those days are over. 
It's time to get off the bottle, start eating solid food. And one of the ways for you to do that is reading the word of God. That that is of utmost importance. In John 15, it says that, that uh, you, apart from the vine, you can do nothing. It is impossible to please God when you're apart from the vine. And one of the primary ways to be connected to the vine is to read the word of God. Now, I hear a lot of people say all the time, they want to hear from God, they want, and they're unclear on what God wants them to do. I'm telling you, God is speaking to you. Open your Bible. Open your Bible. God is speaking to you. I encourage you, prioritize reading Scripture into your daily life because there is absolutely no substitute for it. There is no substitute for it. And I know life is busy, and I know work is a lot, and I know school is a lot, but I promise you, this is something that I wish someone would have told me sooner in my life to prioritize reading the Word of God. There's nothing like it. There's no substitute for it. And another way, um, the second way I have for you is uh, prioritizing your prayer life is also an incredible way to stay connected to the vine. Um, And prayer is powerful. And it's not always, it's never really because of us that's praying, but it's who we're praying to. Prayer is powerful. And so reading the Bible and praying are the two primary ways that you will see growth in your relationship with God. And that is an incredible sign of maturity. Um, I wanted to end tonight after that uh, with a clear representation of how we seem to treat our faith. Um, we, uh, any of you in here, uh, any of you guys, oh, or ladies, I guess, I don't want to be one-sided. You guys play fantasy football? Okay, so uh, I'm a big, I like playing fantasy football. I've been playing for a long time. And uh, actually, uh, a few years ago, I was at a fantasy football draft party, and we were sitting around doing our thing, and the, one of the guys in our league was actually wearing a Panthers jersey. And we have some Panthers fans uh, in the house. So I think it was a Luke Keekley jersey, if I'm not mistaken. Not that it matters. He was wearing a Panthers jersey. And I remember that he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't eat anything at the draft party. And we were trying to figure out why he wouldn't eat anything. Well, then he was like, well, he's like, I bought this jersey. And I only wanted it for today. And so I left the tags on. And so I'm taking it back tomorrow because I didn't want to spend the money on it. I just wanted it for the draft to look, you know, because it's football. And I want to wear a jersey. And I was going to take it back tomorrow. He's like, so don't get any stains on it and don't rip the tags off. He's like, I, that's just how I, you know, it's how it is. And so I always thought that was kind of funny. And that's the convenience of department stores, right? You give the money, you get the item, and if you don't like it, or if you change your mind, you can trade it back as long as the tags are on. All for the sake of convenience and stellar customer service. So I went shopping uh, today. I went shopping today. And uh, actually, uh, I bought a new, um, what would you call this? Sweat, sweatshirt? So I bought, a, I bought a sweatshirt to wear tonight. And uh, I actually, actually uh, left the tags on. Um, and uh, that means I can take it back, right? That if for whatever reason I think, oh, man, this doesn't fit like it did in the dressing room, so I can just take it back. Or, man, I don't know if this is really even in style anymore. Maybe I, sh- I can probably just take it back. Or, or maybe uh, I just I changed my mind on it. I just don't think I look good in it, you know? I'm just going to take it back. It's how we often treat our faith, right? I get my faith. I have faith in God, and all of a sudden, things get tough. I'll just take it back. Oh, things aren't working out the way I want. 
I'll just take it back. Oh, I got a stain on it. <laughs> Dang it, I can't take it back. It doesn't fit the way I thought. Things aren't working out the way that I thought they would. Things are getting hard. Life's not the way I thought it should be. I'm just gonna take it back. I'm just gonna take it back. Tonight, I really wanna tell you, it might be time for you to start ripping the tags off your faith. Start owning it. Jesus didn't die for you to ride the fence. He died for you so you could be constantly, not constantly limping between two opinions. He didn't die for you to ride the fence of your faith. He wanted you to trust that his work was good enough and to live your life in response to that. He didn't die for us to ride the fence of our faith. He died for us to rip the tags off and take it no matter what happens, whether it gets up, messed up in the washer like all my clothes do or whether you know, things are out of style like probably all my stuff is. It doesn't matter. Take the tags off and own it. We're gonna move into a time of table talk and um, I'm gonna end on this. Here are the questions I want you to answer tonight. They're gonna be on the screen for you. Here's your first question. Do you ever find yourself limping between following Christ and not following him? Second question, how can you transition from the bottle to solid food? How can you begin to rip the tags off of your faith? And here's a big third one. What steps can you take to make that a committed transition? Let me pray for you. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us, Jesus. And we thank you that when it came to our sin, God, you didn't take us back. And we didn't measure up. You didn't take us back. You didn't destroy this earth and start over. You instead sent your son to earth to own our sin. And God, we are eternally grateful for that. So God, we lift you up in this place tonight. And God, we pray that you would motivate us and challenge us to rip the tags off of our faith. The days of riding the fence are over. The days of limping between two opinions are over. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, we would start to own our faith. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.